Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalm 42. It's been said that the Psalms capture every human emotion somewhere within the book. That's probably why the book of Psalms is one of the most favorite among Christians. Um, It captures every emotion somewhere within it. Um, It captures happiness and sadness and joy and sorrow, fear and anger, um, every kind of emotion you could experience. The Bible's not afraid to be honest about the human experience. For some reason, we think we have to cover up the bruises of our life with makeup, but that's not what the Bible does. It's honest. It's honest. Psalm 42 has been a great comfort to me in my life because it deals with sadness and depression. My hero, Charles Spurgeon, arguably the greatest preacher in history outside of the Bible, um, he regularly struggled with depression. There were moments in his ministry when he was literally out of the pulpit for weeks at a time because of how bad his depression was. That's just a reminder to you that even the greatest heroes of the faith struggle like you do. I am pretty prone to melancholy of the soul. Um, I don't speak to you as someone today who never deals with depression. Um, Some form of it's pretty common for me. Um, I'm a fellow sufferer with you. Um, There's just a lot of times when I feel down in the dumps, Um, and this week's been one of those. Um, I was, excuse me, I was at the hospital for probably 10 hours over the course of Wednesday and Thursday with, with, with Bill and his family. Um, Bobby called me Wednesday morning to tell me about Marie, and, and I could hear the, the, the sadness in his voice, and, and I cried with him as we were talking. Um, in addition to that, you know, my uncle, 38 years old, struck by lightning, dies. Adrian has a friend, 39 years old, a week ago, dies of cancer. Um, a few weeks ago, um, a, a three-year-old in the Tifton community died that many of you know, and, and I found myself, we had a softball game the following day, Um, as a church, and and I found myself in the dugout, like, over looking at Adrian, like, hey, where's Haddon at? Because somebody had just lost a child just a little older than Haddon, and it just got to me. Um, When you hear stories like this after story after story, it affects you, and when you walk with people through suffering like that, it affects you. In addition to that, just being a pastor, I know a lot of pastors around the country, and I hear a lot of stories from them about opposition they're facing within their church, which psychologically always has me preparing for some kind of criticism that's going to come to me that may or may not ever come because you're not really a critical church, but a lot of pastors experience critical churches. When you, um, you know, when people study government conspiracies all the time, you know how they're always finding government conspiracies and everything? 
It's the same way that when you hear a lot of stories about, um, about criticism that pastors are facing, you start preparing yourself for such a thing. Um, so many other things make it fairly easy to struggle with depression regularly. Perhaps similar circumstances cause it for you. Maybe it's a bad experience at work. Um, I can remember when I was a kid, uh, my mom worked a job and she had been there for probably 10 years and um, she had a really bad boss and she wanted out but, but nowhere would hire her. She had applied and interviewed at so many different places and um, that they just hadn't hired her. And I remember it was a dark night of the soul for her because when you're day in and day out with a bad boss like that, it causes a dark night of the soul. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's singleness. You're, you long for marriage and that can be extremely hard. Maybe it's that you have wayward children that have gone off the deep end and, and just left everything that you value. Maybe it's, maybe it's death, your spouse or your parents or a child or um, whoever. Um, that, that can leave you depressed for 10 years. Like, like losing someone like that can do that to you. Maybe it's personal suffering. You know, you, you got a health diagnosis six years ago, and you just can't do what you used to be able to do, and that leaves you depressed. So how do you battle through that cloud of depression when it comes? Let me give you a definition of what I'm talking about when I say depression today, because it's not what some might say. Um, clinical depression is caused by imbalances of chemicals in your body. It's a health issue. That's not what I'm talking about. When I, when I talk about depression today, I'm talking about a general feeling of sadness that often sits over you like a dark cloud, usually caused by circumstances around you, though not always, and it can last any length of time. It could be a day. It could be years. That's the kind of depression we're talking about as we read through Psalm 42. So let's read Psalm 42. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God? My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God? When I preach, I don't usually give you my outline, um, but I'm going to today. I usually have the mindset that my outline should be like a skeleton. It should hold me together, but if you can see it, we got issues. Um, but, but today I'm going to tell you, um, as we talk about depression, um, I've got five points, but some of them are shorter, okay? I'm, I'm going to talk about what depression is. That's point number one, and then I'm going to offer four, uh, four things that Psalm 42 prescribes and how to fight depression. And so, first, what is depression? 
And you might say, well, you just defined it for us before you read the text. You said it's a sadness that sits over you like a cloud, and it could last for a while. I did say that, but what's under depression? What, what is under it? What causes it? This is probably not the case with every case of depression, but, it, but it's often true with a lot of them. Depression, in many cases, is the result of unbelief. It's a lack of faith in God. Let me read you a quote from a famous preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He pastored in uh, Europe during the uh, 20th century. Listen to what he says in a book he wrote on depression. The ultimate cause of all spiritual depression is unbelief. For if it were not for unbelief, even the devil could do nothing. It is because we listen to the devil instead of listening to God that we go down before him and fall before his attacks. That is why this psalmist, referring to Psalm 42, keeps saying to himself, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He reminds himself of God. Why? Because he was depressed and had forgotten God. So that his faith and his belief in God and in God's power and his relationship to God were not what they ought to be. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Now this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing himself to talk to him, he started talking to himself. Why are you so downcast, O my soul, he asked. His soul had been depressing him, so he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment and I will speak to you. Lloyd-Jones hits it well there, doesn't he? So much of our depression, so much of our sadness comes because we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. We allow voices other than God's voice and God's truth to influence us. We hear from outside voices. That's what uh, this psalmist says in um, verse um, 3. When he says, all day long they are yelling to me, where is your God? He's hearing all these voices. They're, they're speaking to him, and his soul is depressed because of it. They are calling God into question. Just like Satan did in the garden. Remember, Satan said, did God really say you shouldn't eat of this tree? Um, just like Satan did that, these outside voices are doing that to him, and it's what does it to us. This is what the devil does. He calls God into question in your mind. Maybe it's in singleness, and the devil says, you know, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be miserable forever. Not true. God is more concerned about your happiness than you are, and he knows what will bring it. Maybe it's a wayward child, and the devil will tell you, the current state of your child is how it will always be. Those kids are going to be wayward forever. That's not necessarily true. Um, the theologian Augustine was a lost pagan for decades, and his mother prayed faithfully for decades, and he finally turned to Christ decades later. God may do the saving work in your kid's life long after you're dead. Trust him. Maybe it's a bad work experience, and the devil will tell you God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he'd give you a better job. The devil lies to you to take your eyes off of God. And that's what causes sadness in our hearts. Beyond that, depression just clouds your vision from God himself. Remember last week when, when Psalm 16, in your presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. You remember that? Depression sets like a cloud over you and you can't see through it. It keeps you from being able to see God in all of his glory and having the joy that, that comes from that. So when Lloyd-Jones, and when I just said that depression is unbelief, that doesn't necessarily mean you're doubting God or rejecting him or running from him. Sometimes it's just that there's such a fog over your heart and mind that you can't see him through it. 
And that's the same thing as unbelief. So it's unbelief in the sense that you can't see Christ by faith to overcome the fog of your depression. The psalmist says in verse 2 that he's thirsting for God. It's like he's so thirsty and he just needs some water. I just need water to quench my thirst, but I can't find it right now. The, the, at the heart of depression is a thirst for God. If we had more of God, the depression would lose its battle. What does the song that we just sang say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Verse 1 and 2, he, he says, I'm, I'm thirsty for God. Get me to the water as fast as I can. That's what's at the heart of sadness and depression. Um, that, that's what's there. But often you can't see that because it's masked by the fruit of depression. Things like sadness. Things like just wanting to sleep and stay home. Things like feeling terrible. That's at the, that's, those are the fruit of the depression. And they mask the fact that you need more of God. And that's the weird thing, isn't it? In some sick way, being depressed feels good. Not really, but when I'm depressed, I don't want to do anything about the fact that I'm depressed. It's a lot easier to just sit there in the depression. I often know what I'm supposed to do to get out of it, what's going to work, but it's just too hard. It's not like burning my hand. You know, if I put my hand on a stove, I'm going to immediately yank it away because it hurts. Depression's not like that. It's easier to just sit in the sadness then put forth the work it takes to overcome it, even though I know life would be all, all around better to overcome it. So what are some practical things you can do when depression finds you? If the answer to depression is to turn your eyes on Jesus and stop listening to the outside voices, what's the solution? How can you practically do that? You know, I did a Google search when I was preparing for this um, as to what help is usually put forth to overcome depression. Here's some of the things they said. Diet, exercise, yoga, meditation, sleep, cut out alcohol, take prescription medication, have fun, take the right vitamins, set goals, and have a routine. Those are the solutions Google gives to overcome depression. And if you're clinically depressed, remember we said that's not what we're talking about, but if you're clinically depressed, yeah, those are great. Those do great. But if you have the type of depression we're talking about today, those can certainly help you feel better, but will they fix the problem? I've told you I take a prescription medication for anxiety every day, not so that I won't have anxiety. It's taken to treat the symptoms of anxiety, things like heart palpitations, things like jitters, things like lack of focus. The medication helps that. But if I want to not have anxiety, i got to make war against the things that are making me anxious. It's the same with depression. Diet, exercise, all of that will keep will will, will certainly help the dark clouds and the sadness feel that, that'll go away, but they probably won't change the circumstances that are causing you to be depressed. So what can you do practically to overcome? This psalm pres prescribes four things. The first one is in verse three. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? What's he doing there? He's crying. He's crying all day and all night. The first thing you got to do is work through those emotions. The psalmist is saying, I cry all the time. He's working through his emotions. He's not bottling it up. Bottling up your emotions makes you sick and will make the depression worse. 
But for some reason, we think we, we have to do that. We have to bottle it up. We have to, you know, not show any emotion. We have to be strong. You know, only sissies cry. Crying's for weak people. I got to be strong. No, you don't. Just let it out. There's nothing impressive about the fact that you don't cry in moments of intense suffering. There's nothing impressive about that. The fact that you've never grieved the death of your parent because you had to be strong for your family could be majorly contributing to why you're so sad. The fact that you never let the tears flow when you had a miscarriage might explain why you're so grumpy with your spouse and kids. The fact that you always are bitter about your wayward children might be because you've never cried over your wayward children. You've got to let that stuff out. You can't keep bottling it up. How do you do this? Well, you need people. You need other people. This is what the church is for. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You need friendships in the local church that you can turn to in the dark moments of your life. Friends that will sit in silence with you, who will weep with you, who will encourage you with biblical truth, who will take the sword of God's word and cut through the fog so you can see Jesus clearly and so that the things of this world grow strangely dim. Do you have friends like that? Are we a church where relationships like that are able to happen? We don't go to church to put on a happy face and act like everything's going well in life. If we do that, we, we got some serious issues. No, we come to church to hold each other up as we walk through the Christian life because we can't do it ourselves. You, you need those friendships. You may need to meet one-on-one -on -one with a counselor. I'll meet with you. Come talk to me today. Obviously, right after church is impossible, but, but, but I'll make it an urgent thing. Let's talk this week, or, or let me direct you to another person who can, who can talk to you about that issue. You need to work through those depressing feelings, not just sit at home by yourself and eat snack food. God created you to need other people in your life to help you through the sin-cursed world we live in. So number one, work through your emotions. Secondly, verses four through seven you got to remember the right things. you got to call to mind the right things. The psalmist, he says, I, I, remember, I remember a time when things were better than this. I remember a time when I didn't feel like this. He says, look, I used to stand up in front of the church and lead them in vibrant worship. It was wonderful. I used to get the whole congregation to shout gladly, he says. Uh, I, things used to be way better than they are now. Maybe that's what causes your depression. Life seems worse today than it did in the past. You think, our country just isn't what it used to be, and you get depressed. You think about your family, and every year at Christmas, there's one less seat filled at the dinner table. You wish your family could be what it once was. Your life has turned out to be nothing like you always dreamed it would be. You'd much rather be back in the day when the future seemed bright. You used to be able to do a lot more than you can now. You, you remember what those days were like, and today is just horrible in your mind. In the midst of depression, you have to remember the right things. You have to call the right things to mind. You have to push out those voices that are trying to keep you trapped in your depression. You have to preach the truth to yourself. As Lloyd-Jones says, you have to stop listening to yourself, and you have to start talking to yourself. In... 1871, the great Chicago fire ruined the career of a man named Horatio Spafford. Two years later, um, after he had cleaned up the rubble that the fire left behind, he decided he needed to get away with his family and just rest. It had been a really hard two years. They needed to get away and rest. And so they were going to go to Europe for a little bit and just, just, just rest. 
And so he, he, he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship on to Europe. He had to stay back and finalize some affairs before he left. So he sent them on on a boat ahead of him. And that boat collided with another boat on the Atlantic Ocean, and both of them sunk. Spafford's four daughters were all killed in the sinking. His wife barely got out alive. He hears about the accident. He receives a telegram from his wife that just says, saved alone. He gets on a ship and he heads to be with his wife in Europe. As he is on the ship, they pass over the spot on the ocean where his daughters met their demise. And in that moment, Horatio Spafford writes the words of a song you may know. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, you hear it in the words, he's, on, he's sitting on top of sea billows. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. How on earth can it be well with his soul? How can Spafford do anything at this point other than to spend the rest of his life in utter despair and die? Because of the next verse, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. He knew Christ loved him despite all of this that had happened to him. Christ had shown his great love in his death on the cross. That will not change and he knew God shared in his sufferings because God had not watched his only son die by a random accident. He had chose to have his son die because it was the only way to save sinners. He chose to watch that. Spafford knew that was the truth, and so he could walk in suffering with God and bear through it. And as the song ends with, the, with Christ coming back, he knows that God will one day raise his daughters back to life out of the depths of the ocean. This is not the end. He calls these things to mind. If you listen to yourself, you will always be in despair. It's part of our sin nature that we just love to lie to ourselves and get ourselves down in the dumps. It's, 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 it's like a learned habit for us. Our hearts are desperately sick, and they want nothing but bad for us. We have to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. We have to remember the right things. Rather than remembering how things used to be, we have to remember how things always are, who God is, who Christ is, that he's on his throne, he's reigning. The circumstances we're in are not the end of us, and they're not what's on the throne. Christ is on the throne. We have to call to mind God's word. We have to open his word and allow him to speak to us. The psalmist is like wrestling with himself. He's crying out. Look at verse 5. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. He's screaming it to himself. Put your hope in God. He's talking to himself rather than listening to himself. You have to work through your emotions. You have to call to mind the right things. Thirdly, you have to pray honestly. Verses 8 and 9. You have to pray honestly. Uh, a prayer, end of verse 8, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now that's a nice prayer, isn't it? Uh, along with talking to himself, he talks to God. Prayer is such an important to, uh, is so important to the battle against depression, which is why you must avoid two temptations with prayer, the, in, uh, especially in depression. The first one is t temptation to not pray. 
When you're depressed, you don't feel like praying at all. But you must make yourself do it. It's your lifeline in depression. The voice inside of you will tell you, don't pray. You're wasting your time. It's not going to help. But it does. If the answer to depression is to look at Christ, you've got to talk to him, to look at him. That's the first one. The second temptation is the temptation to pray meaningless prayers. We do this all the time. This is the typical prayer life of people. We pray little meaningless prayers like we just have to meet the quota to say the right things. You know, our, our Lord and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for all your many blessings. Be with the military and all the sick people. Lead, guide, and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of value in the things that we're praying for there. But when we say prayers like that, often we're just meeting the quota. A friend of mine went to a church when he was a kid, and anytime one particular man was called on to pray at the end of a service, the, the kids would silently mouth the prayer along with the man because he prayed the same prayer every single time. Those kinds of prayers don't fight depression. What does this guy pray in Psalm 42? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why, does life, why, why is life so hard, God? Why? God works with you in your brokenness. He takes you and heals you. He, he, he's, he's crying out a prayer of, why have you forgotten me? It's like he's saying, come on, God, get with the program. Because that's what he's really feeling. My bet is you think that it's offensive to God to pray a prayer like that. I can't pray that. God might strike me dead. But you're thinking that, so why would you not just pray it? Do you think God doesn't know what's on your heart versus what comes out of your mouth? God doesn't want you to say little prayers that don't matter. He wants you to rip open your soul to him and expose your heart to him. That is what he can work with. You don't, you're not going to offend him by asking why. Don't believe that cliche. You're not supposed to ask God why. Baloney. Half the Psalms ask God why. Jesus asked God why. So many people in the Bible ask God why. You just got to be ready for what he says when you ask why. It's precisely when you ask God why that he can start working with you because you're honest and genuine. Ask him why, and then go to his word and look for an answer. If you want to beat depression, you have to pray genuinely what's on your heart. It's like we said earlier with working through your emotions. You have to get those things out. You can't keep them inside. So, you... Work through your emotions, you call to mind the right things, you pray honestly, and finally, verses 10 and 11, you endure through the depression and wait. You would expect, as a lot of psalms do, you would expect this psalm to end with victory, wouldn't you? You would expect him to work through all this, and then the final verse says something like, and I am confident that in the Lord, and I will worship him in steadfast love forever. I will do that. But that's not what happens, is it? What's the final verse say the final two verses it repeats the idea of verses three through six he doesn't gain victory in psalm 42 he's still in his depression just hoping it's going to come to an end when psalm 42 ends when psalm 42 ends technically psalm 42 and 43 are supposed to be read together they're two separate psalms 43 says a lot of the same things that 42 does, but he gets to the end of the psalm and he's still in the same state that he was when he started. You need to know that your depression may last for a long time. It may. It's not a thing that you do these three steps that I've given you and all of a sudden depression will be no more. 
any more than you would expect to have your beach body after going to the gym for a week. That's not how it works. It takes time, and it takes work, and it may take years to get through it. You may relapse into it from time to time. I told you about Spurgeon's depression, and you know, the, the fact with Spurgeon is he, he never knew full victory over his depression, ever. He went through seasons of not being depressed, and then seasons where he was depressed. It was like a roller coaster, and there were good seasons and bad seasons. There were ups and downs, and in, in, 19, in 1892, he died. He died still battling depression, but the fact is, when he died... He came face to face with Jesus, and he has never known a moment of sadness ever since. He has never known depression since that moment, ever. So you can take the statement in verse 11 as true for you in your depression. What he says there, I shall again praise him. Hope in God, I shall again praise him. It's going to come. It's going to come. The depression will not last forever. I will praise him again. I will know joy again. It's going to come. You may get out of your depression and never be depressed again. You may have a roller coaster ride like Spurgeon did. You may not fully escape it until eternity, but a better day is coming. You will not be depressed, die, and never know happiness again if you're a Christian. If your depression never ends on earth, it will in heaven. So you're saying... So you're saying, Aaron, I may not escape my depression before I die. What's the point of fighting then? Well, I would say because you might escape it, but also Psalm 42 calls you to fight it, calls you to make war against it. The Lord doesn't want you to just curl up in a ball and wait for eternity. He's got purposes for you here on this earth, and, or you wouldn't be here. So fight for joy. If you want to fight for joy and escape depression, you must do these very things that we've said. You must work through your emotions with other people. You must remember the right things and speak truth to yourself. You must pray honestly. You must endure and wait. You must bear through the pain and suffering because there's light at the end of the tunnel. You push aside the feelings to just give up and you worship and wait. You continually pray. You continually read God's word. You continually sing. You continually gather with God's people on Sunday. You continually do God's will, and you wait for him to lift the cloud. Why? Because Isaiah 40, 31, they who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You fight like crazy, and you wait. And the day is coming, maybe near, maybe far, when you will again praise him, and you will finally escape the depression. Let's pray. Oh, my soul, put your hope in God, my help, my rock, my salvation. Sing, oh, sing through the raging storm, you're still my God, my salvation. Lord, would you help us? Lord, because if we're here today and we're, we're, we're in no depression, it's coming for us. Sadness and, and hardship is going to come, and we're going to be down in the dumps. But Lord, if we're there today, as some of us are, would you help us? Would you help us work through our emotions, not bottle it up? 
preach the gospel and preach truth to ourselves, pray honestly and endure through it. Oh God, I thank you that your word is honest about these things. Your word doesn't expect us to just get through life without your help. You give us your word to strengthen us. And so Lord, would you help us walk through these hardships? Move in us now. Call us to respond to your grace. And may we May we see through the fog and turn our eyes upon Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.